Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Our scripture reading uh, this morning is going to be Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 47. We're going to be reading uh, into chapter 20 uh, through verse 8. So Luke 19, verses 47 through 20, verse 8. If you're using one of the Blue Pew Bibles, you will find these verses on page 800. And 79. Now, in some sense, we are picking up uh, in the middle of a story. Last week, we looked at verses 45 and 46, and we, we saw Jesus driving those who sold out of the temple. And this morning, we are going to again see Jesus in the temple, this time standing and teaching, teaching the people and proclaiming to them the good news of the gospel. And so I want us to read this together that we might learn from Jesus. Beginning at verse 47, this is the very word of God. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the preaching of his word here this morning. Father God, we do come before you humbly this morning, asking that you would be with your word preached. According to your promise, Father, may it not return to you void, but may it have its effect in and among us. May we leave here changed, more and more conformed to the image of the glory of your Son, more and more strengthened and enabled to walk in a manner worthy of his name. This we ask in his name, and for his name's sake. Amen. December 31st, New Year's Eve. As Jim has just said in his prayer, it is a day when many people look back over the past year and, and think about the changes that they would like to make in the year to come. It is a day for resolutions. If you've been at Trinity very long, you probably know that I'm actually in favor of making New Year's resolutions. I actually think that Jesus calls us to make resolutions not just once a year, but every day. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is Jesus' own prescription for being his disciple. You must deny yourself, you must take up your cross, and you must do so daily that you might follow after him. 
So as followers of Jesus, as as disciples of, of Christ, we must resolve daily to deny ourselves and follow our Master. We must resolve daily to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live upright, godly, and self-controlled lives in this present age. And so the Christian life is, or at least it ought to be, a life of daily resolution. But God knows our weakness. He knows how, how easily we are distracted. He, he knows how easily we lose focus. And so in His great mercy... In His abundant kindness, He has given us certain rhythms by which we can regularly reset and and refocus. The primary rhythm, of course, which He has has given us is the rhythm of the Sabbath, the, the, the once daily day, the once weekly day of rest where we gather together with God's people to taste and to see His goodness in the gospel of His Son. And on this day, we get to reset, we get to be reminded of what we are to be living for and what we are to be living out. And on this day, we we get to make resolutions to begin a new week. But God hasn't only given us the weekly Sabbath. He has given us other rhythms as well. He has given us the moon to, to govern the months. He has given us the seasons to divide the years. And He has given us even the sun to mark out that year. These are His rhythms. He has woven them into the very fabric of creation. And I want to suggest to you that each of these rhythms affords us with the opportunity to, to stop and to reflect. An opportunity to, to reset and to renew our resolve to walk each day as becomes a follower of Christ. And so while you may know ahead of time that you're probably not going to keep your resolutions for the whole year, it is still a good idea to make them. It is still a, a good idea to, to take advantage of those opportunities that God has given us, those, those rhythms that He has woven into our life to, to resolve to live as becomes a follower of Christ, resolve to do exactly what Jesus says, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. And that is what our resolves are to be about. This is the the focus of our resolutions. A, A quick Google search will tell you that the majority of resolutions at least in the United States, have to do with things like losing weight or or quitting smoking or or getting out of debt. These are the resolutions that that people tend to make at the beginning of a a new year. And, And these are good things to resolve about. If you are in debt, if you have lived beyond your means, it is good to resolve to get out of debt. It is good to resolve to to make a budget and begin to to live below your means so that you can pay off your debts. And so that, as Paul says in Colossians, so that you can have something to give to those in need. That is a good thing. It is a good thing to resolve to, to lose weight and to take care of the body that God has given you so that you might use it in His service. It is a, a good thing to resolve to, to quit smoking if that has been something that has plagued you. These are good things, but they are means to a greater end. They are means to serving Christ. They are means to, to living out the life that He has called us to. Because as Christians, that is our ultimate ambush, ambition. As Paul says it in Colossians chapter 1, our goal is to walk in a manner worthy of His name, fully pleasing to Him. Or as we heard this morning in the call to confession, Peter tells us that we are to be holy, even as our Father in heaven is holy. 
Or as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, our life is to live, our goal is to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. Or as our catechism puts it, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our resolutions, whatever the particulars happen to be, must serve this end. They must serve this goal. They, they must aim at this ambition that we would more and more walk as becomes followers of Christ. But once you've said that, don't the questions begin to pop up in your mind? Well, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> What exactly will that mean for me in this coming year? What exactly will that look like in, in my particular context? And, and who has the right to tell me what it's going to look like? Who has the authority to define for me the life of a disciple? Who has the authority to tell me what is pleasing to God? Who has the authority to tell me what brings glory to His name? Obviously, if we're going to make such resolutions, we, we need to know the answer. We need to know where to look for the answers. When I'm looking for health advice, I don't want just anyone's opinion. I, I know from experience that everyone has an opinion about what will make your stomach feel better or what will help you sleep better at night. The, these are, are things that everybody will tell you something. And I don't really care what everyone has to say. I want to know who has the authority, who has studied the human body, who has studied medicine, who has, who has some measure of, of authority to tell me what I can actually expect to work. Or how much more ought we to seek someone with authority when we are asking about our relationship with God? When we are asking about what it means to, to live as one of His children, to, to walk as a disciple of His Son? Who has that authority? That's exactly the question that the priests are asking in this text. We're prepared to give them a hard time, but before we give them a hard time, I want us to see that they're actually asking the right question. The question of authority is exactly the question that they should be asking. And it's the question that you should be asking this morning as you look into the new year, and as you think about how you're going to, to live in the coming year, what you're going to seek to do, what you are going to endeavor after. You need to know who has the authority to tell me what is pleasing to my God. Who has the authority to tell me what I am to believe concerning Him and what it is that He requires of me. That's the question that the priests are acting, and they're asking it with good reason. Remember what Jesus has just done. Last week we saw that Jesus has just cleansed the temple. He has just entered the temple and, and driven out those who were selling in the courtyard. And as we saw last week when he does that, it is more than just a condemnation of them selling. It is, it is more than a condemnation of the ridiculously high prices that they were charging for exchanging money or for, for buying animals. When Jesus drove out those who sold... He was condemning the entire religious system of the leaders who are now questioning Him. He was calling them false prophets. Prophets who speak peace to the people when there is no peace. People, pre, pre, priests who, who give the people a false hope. Who tell the people, if you just go through the external motions of religion, that is enough. God will be pleased. 
That's what Jesus means when he says that they have made the temple into a den of robbers. They, they've made the temple into a place where it's safe for, for robbers to dwell. They can live as they please when they are outside, but as long as they come to the temple and, and pay the right tax and offer the right sacrifice, they will be safe. And Jesus says that they are lying to the people. And through their lies, they are putting their souls at risk. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees, when you make a convert, you make him twice the son of hell that you are, for you give him false hope. That's what Jesus is saying. He is is condemning the entire religious teaching of the leaders who, who stand before him. And not only is he condemning them, but he's offering his own substitute. Notice what we're told in verse 47. After clearing out the uh, the temple, Jesus begins to, to teach and to preach himself. We're told that he was teaching daily in the temple. And in chapter 20, verse 1, we're told that that he was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming to them or, or preaching to them the gospel. So Jesus has not only condemned the the religious leaders of his day, but he is now offering an alternative. He is offering a substitute. He is saying what they teach is false. Here is the true word of God. If you would know God and if you would be reconciled to Him, if you would stand before Him justified, here is what you must know. Here is what you must believe. Here is what God requires of you. And He proclaims to them the Gospel. And so He is presuming To take the place. He is presuming to to stand in the place of the teachers. He's presuming to to proclaim to the people what God requires of them. And so the leaders are right. They are right to ask about His authority. What gives you the right to say these things? What gives you the right to teach the people? Why does Jesus have this Authority. It's, it's a question that we all must ask. Why do we believe that Jesus has the authority to stand in the temple and teach the people? Why do we believe that Luke has the authority to, to proclaim to us the, the gospel of this Jesus who stood in the temple? Why do we believe that if we will listen to these words, then God will find us acceptable? This is the, this is the challenge. This is the, the question of Authority, And we, we've talked about this in, in weeks past as we were leading up to the, the day of, of Reformation. We, we talked about the doctrine of sola scriptura and we talked about the fact that, that we believe that, that this is God's word. This is the word that God himself has spoken and that he has, he has validated it. He has said, this is my word. These are the people who, who speak for me. And the priests had seen that very thing about Jesus. They knew where Jesus came from. Think of Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. He says, we know you are from God. Why? Because no one could do the things that you do if if God were not with him. He had been publicly validated. They knew the words that he proclaimed were true. And so while they were asking the right question, they were not asking it with the right motives. They were asking the right question, but they were not asking it to get at the truth. Rather, they were asking it to get away from the truth. You've had this experience, probably with one of your teenagers, where where they come to you and and they want to know why, but they're not really looking for explanation. They're not really looking for you to explain to them the wisdom of the the path that you have set before them. They are seeking a way out. They are seeking a way out from under your authority. They are, in a sense, using that that playground slang, saying, you're not the boss of me. 
What gives you the right? What gives you the right to tell me what to do? That's what the priests are doing. They are, they are challenging Jesus, not because they want to get at the truth, but because they want to get away from it. And that's exactly what we see going on here. Look what Luke tells us at the end of, of chapter 19. We're told that the priests had already made up their mind about Jesus. They, they already knew what they wanted to do with Him. And what they wanted to do with Him is that they wanted to destroy Him. They wanted to, to remove Him from the scene. If they could discredit Him, that was enough. But if, if they couldn't do that, then they would get rid of Him by some other means. Because what they could not tolerate was His teaching. What they could not tolerate was his, Him continuing to challenge their authority. After all, their, their positions and their, their privilege were at stake. If Jesus were to continue teaching this gospel that he proclaimed, it would, it would undermine everything that, that gave them advantage in the world, and they could not have that. And so in order to, to discredit and to get away from this, this teacher who was meddling in their livelihoods, they're seeking to destroy him. And they come up with a plan. They, they say that, that we're going to ask him a question. We're going to expose him as a, as a false teacher. And we see the question that they decide to ask in verse 2. We see that they say to Jesus, Tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who is it that gave you this authority? They, they go to the heart of Jesus' Authority, But again, Jesus knows what's going on. He, he knows their hearts. He, he knows their motivations. And so Jesus seeks to expose them with a question of his own. Notice how Jesus replies. He says, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Now, why does Jesus bring up John the Baptist? What, what is his point? What is he, he getting at? Well, let's think about who John the Baptist was. We, we know that John the Baptist was the, the forerunner. He was a prophet like Jesus, but he was an unauthorized prophet like Jesus. He wasn't part of the establishment. He was the one out in the wilderness wearing strange clothes and eating strange food. He, he wasn't part of the religious system. He wasn't a, a certified rabbi. And so therefore, he had no authority as far as the religious teachers were concerned. And yet, he was widely regarded as a prophet. The people knew. The people recognized that he spoke with the authority of God. They, they recognized that here is a, a prophet in, in the, 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 the long line of the Old Testament prophets. Here is one who speaks the very words of God. The people knew who John was. And think about what John did he pointed to Jesus as the Christ. He says, I am not the Christ. But there is one after me who was before me, whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. There is a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and He stands before you. John pointed to Jesus. And so Jesus points back to John and says, what about Him? Where did His authority come from? And the priests discuss how they're going to answer. They say, well, if we say that he was from heaven, that's going to make us look really bad because we didn't listen to John. We didn't believe him when he called us to repentance. We certainly didn't believe him when he told us that Jesus was the Messiah. So, so we can't very well say that, that John was from heaven. But we can't say that he was from man either because if we say that, the people are probably going to stone us. Because the people know the truth. The people know that he was a prophet. So what are we going to do? 
Now, if their motives were pure, what would they do? If their motives were truly to protect the people from a false teacher, what would they do? Well, of course, they would have to call John out and they would have to call Jesus out. It's not always popular to to point out false teachers, but it's what a true teacher does for the sake of his people. If if the priest's motives were, were pure, at this point, they would say, well, we know the people love him, but he's a false teacher. And we have to say that sometimes today, even ourselves. We have to say, well, I know their books are selling a lot, but don't listen. They're a false teacher. It's what the priest should have said. They should have called out John if they really truly believed that that he was a false teacher. They they should have continued to to call out Jesus if they believed that he was a false teacher. But that's not what's motivating them. They are not motivated by a desire to, to protect the people from, from false teachers. They're not motivated by a desire to, to expound the truth. They're rather motivated by their own self-interest and their selfish ambition. They're motivated by the desire to keep for themselves the, the power and the privilege that they have amassed. And so they answer Jesus, we don't know. We, we don't know where his, his power comes from. Let's get back to our question, please. But Jesus says No. No, if you won't answer my question, I will not answer yours. If you don't care about the truth, if you're not truly interested in in finding out the truth of who I am, if you are simply interested in advancing your own agenda, if you are simply interested in, in escaping from my authority, then I will not play your game. And what do we learn from this. What does this what does this teach us about about Jesus and and about the gospel? The thing I think we need to see in the priests is we need to see that it is possible to pretend to be rejecting Jesus on intellectual grounds. When in fact our our reasons for rejecting him are far more personal. It doesn't have to do with not believing who he is, it has to do with not liking what he says. And in fact, in my experience, this is far more common than true intellectual doubt. I have dealt with people who had true intellectual questions. I have, I have dealt with people who had, who had real struggles with the, the, the facts of the faith. But far more often, I have dealt with people who just didn't like it. I can remember when I was uh, a campus minister at the University of North Carolina in, in Asheville, Students would inevitably want to come to me and talk to me about what they didn't like about Christianity. This is where they always wanted to begin. When they found out that I was a pastor and I just bugged them enough to have a conversation with them, eventually they would say, well, listen, let me tell you why I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian because I don't like this, or I can't really stomach that. There there are things about this faith that I just don't like. And I would inevitably try to show them That whether or not they like what Jesus has to say isn't really the point. At some point, that will come up. That's a second level question. The the first question, the question that really matters is, did God say it? Is Jesus God incarnate? Is he God in the flesh? Because if God said it, if the maker of heaven and earth said it, it matters little whether you like it. That's not the first level question. The question is, is it true? Is it true? True. 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 Did God 
say it. And what we discover is that far more often we want to reject Jesus because we don't like what he has to say. I remember another campus minister, one of the the guys that we trained together during the summer. And he told me that whenever a student came to him with intellectual doubts, his first question would always be, when did you start sleeping with your girlfriend? It would catch them off guard. But it would force them to think. They were like, well, how did you know? How did you know? Well, Because people start to ask questions. They, they start to reject the truth when they have reason to want to live another way. And we must be willing to examine ourselves in light of that same question. We must be willing to ask if this same Spirit is in us. It won't be quite so obvious. It won't be quite so bold, maybe, among those who who profess to be followers of Christ. But there are still those times when we don't want to reject Jesus in toto, but we want to reject His Lordship over this area of our life because we don't like what He has to say here. We don't like what He has to say about loving that difficult family member that we just had to spend Christmas with. We don't like what he has to say about what we're supposed to do with our our surplus income. We don't like what he has to say about where we're supposed to spend our our time. We don't like what he has to say about how we're to relate to our neighbors. We don't like what he has to say about showing mercy to to those who are are poor or disenfranchised. And so in this area or or that area of our lives, we, we would rather not honor Christ as Lord. And so we begin to ask, does he really have the authority? Does he really have the authority to to rule this area of my life? We may not even say it that plainly to ourselves, but we begin to try to find ways not to submit to the truth, but to escape it. And if you see that in your life, if you, if you see that, that, that tendency in your own heart, that, that desire to escape the truth because you don't like it, You need to see Jesus' response to the priest. You need to hear him say, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. That is a stern and serious rebuke. Jesus simply says, I will not play your games. I will not play games With the truth. If you are looking for ways to escape the truth rather than to submit to it, then I will not play. But rather, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, if we are seeking to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, then there will come a time when he will simply hand us over to our foolishness. Now, in his grace, that doesn't happen right away. Remember, this is not Jesus' first interaction with. The priest, this is not Jesus' first interaction with the Pharisees. He is patient. He has been ministering publicly for three years. He has had conversation after conversation. He has had interaction after interaction. He has been gracious. But there will come a time, if we are seeking to escape the truth, when he will say to us, thy will be done. In fact, that's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, at the end of the age, there will be only two types of people. There will be those who say to the Lord, thy will be done. And there are those to whom the Lord will say, Thy will be done. One will be heaven and the other will be hell. But there will come a time, if you're seeking to escape the truth, when Jesus will have to say, Neither will I tell you. It is a serious warning. 
It is a warning that we need to hear because we, we recognize that there are those areas in our life where we don't want Jesus to be Lord. Where we don't want Him to, to rule and we, we want to question His authority. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we must confess and we must submit. We must crown Him the King. We must acknowledge Him as our Sovereign. We must follow Him as our Master. We cannot say to Him, who gives you the right? We cannot say to Him, you're not the boss of me in this one area. If He is our Lord, He is the Lord of all. And we must offer ourselves to Him as living sacrifices. The priest rejected Him wholesale. We're tempted sometimes to to reject Him in part. But as Kuiper said, if He is not Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. And we must bow to Him. We must acknowledge Him as our Lord. We must seek to live all of life in submission to His will. For He will not play our games if we're looking for ways around His authority. If we're looking for ways to escape from the truth. So we must hear His warning. But His warning is not the last thing I want you to hear this morning. Because I also want you to see His faithfulness. Look again at verse 47. Jesus stands daily in the temple teaching. We see it again in in verses 1 and 2. Jesus is teaching in the temple. He's he's teaching the people. He's proclaiming the Gospel. Jesus will not play the priest's games. But that doesn't mean He abandons His mission. Remember what Jesus said all the way back in Luke chapter 4. He said, For this reason I have came, that I might proclaim the Gospel. And what is the Gospel? The Gospel is the good news of what God has done to reconcile sinners to Himself. And so if there are areas of your life where you do not want to submit to Him, and there are, if there are areas of your life where you kick against the goads, if there are areas of your life where you you resist His authority, then what do you do? You do not take the path of the priest. You do not challenge His authority. You do not try to find a way of escape, but rather you submit. You confess your sins knowing that He will be faithful and just. You confess your hard heart. You confess your delight in sin. You you confess your resistance to the truth. And you come before Him humbly, asking that He would be at work in your heart to conform you more and more to the image of His Son. Jesus stands in the temple and proclaims the Gospel, even knowing that the people will soon reject Him even knowing that that they will not believe. And yet He faithfully, continually proclaims the Gospel. He continually holds out hope. He does not abandon His mission because of the people's unbelief. And He will not abandon it because of your unbelief either. If you struggle to believe, and you do, confess your struggle. Acknowledge your weakness. And in rather seeking to avoid His authority, come to Him and say, Lord, teach me to submit. Teach me to believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
At the beginning of this new year, make that your prayer. Lord, this year I want to live as becomes a follower of Christ. This year I want to walk in a manner worthy of your name. This year I want to live a life fully pleasing to you. This year I want to live a life worthy of your calling. And Paul's promise in Romans 12 is this. That if you will present yourself to him as a living sacrifice without reservation, without qualification then He will lead you by His church, by His Word, by His Spirit to know His good, perfect, and pleasing will. He will show you the way that you shall walk. He will show you the details. He will lead you in your daily practice. And He will bring to completion the good work that He has begun in you. Yes, you struggle. Yes, you resist. Confess it as the sin that it is. Do not seek to escape His authority but flee to it that He might work in you to will and to do that which is pleasing to you, to Him in this coming year. Let us pray it together. Father God, we do ask this boldly in Jesus' name. As we see the the priests this morning, Father, we we recognize that, that there is something of them in us. There is something of their spirit in us. That there is that resistance to Your authority. That there is that desire to escape. Father God, may we see it, may we name it, may we confess it, and by Your grace, may we put it off. May we offer ourselves to You as living sacrifices this year, that You might be at work in us to will and to do that which is pleasing to You. Father, this is what we ask for, and we ask for it in Jesus' name, and for His name's sake, Amen.